0: To the Lifted Podcast. I'm your host, Helen Denham, and this is a place for us to talk about what we're doing every day to raise our vibration and understand ourselves more deeply as energetic beings and co creators. All right, all right. Welcome to another episode. I'm so happy that you're here. If you're new to the show, episodes drop every Wednesday morning. And I'm Helen Denham, women's empowerment coach, meditation teacher, singer-songwriter multi hyphenate like most of us are these days so i just rolled in from the apple store and there was such a nice guy helping me out today and we ended up talking about music and he brought up this artist that he was like you've got to check out she's awesome these are her upcoming shows just like hyping her up saying the nicest things and it really made me think about the fact that there are people out there who have your back like people that you don't even know are singing your praises they're lifting you up they're speaking highly of you and you might not even know it and it just made me like feel so warm inside and so optimistic and just gave me this little moment that i wanted to share with you guys because you know a lot of us experience anxiety we've got a lot of eyes on us with social media and just like in life in general and it's good to remember that There is so much positivity out there as well. There is so much love to be had and to be felt and to remember that you are supported in ways that you don't even know. So maybe that'll make you feel a little better in this moment. Okay, my friends, let's get right on into today's conversation. We have Mahina Alexander on the show today, an absolute goddess, someone I've wanted to interview for a while now because I always feel such a sense of warmth and inspiration and activation when I'm looking at her Instagram and reading what she's writing. She is really just such a portal for healing. And I wanted to get to know her better and really understand her story, where she came from, what really lights her up. And we get into that in this episode, we talk about sacred initiations and divine interventions and motherhood and alchemizing some really intense situations. And I know that all sounds kind of vague, but just wait until you hear the story. She's an amazing storyteller and has just had such a rich and interesting life. And I wanna read you a little something that she wrote uh, because I feel like it'll give you a more insight into who she is and just kinda how she thinks. So in reflecting on her childhood and some of her darker teenage years, she writes, "'I release the imprint and embrace my blueprint. Anger still returns, but my relationship with that part of myself and my understanding of its lessons has changed and evolved. I feel much more peaceful now, even when I feel down, because I can recognize that I'm simply in unknown territory, which means it's time to surrender, humble myself, drop in deeply, heart wide open, to fully receive the moment, knowing that it will change and that when it does, I'll be able to take what I have learned with me. For anyone who's struggling to feel and remember that life is a gift, try to do something different when you wake up tomorrow. After all, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results, so switch it up, get creative, have fun, and play. Be the you that you were before you became someone else in an effort to protect yourself from scrutiny, judgment, and condemnation. You deserve to be loved, cherished, and respected for who you are, first and foremost, by yourself. Everyone else will be magnetized to you by the relationship you cultivate with yourself. All right, you guys, enjoy this episode. While you're listening, you can find Mahina on Instagram at Mahina Alexander and I'm at Helen Denham underscore. And yeah, hit us up. Let us know what you're thinking. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much for being here. I love you and I'll talk to you on the flip side. So, the first question I love to ask guests is how do you like to start your days off? Do you have any rising routines or rituals that you go to? So,
1: it's actually funny because lately, my rising routine, I actually have been doing it at night. <laughs> so I actually, because I'm a mom now, um, I don't always have the time in the morning because I like to sleep in in the morning. So <laughs> I sleep in in the morning. But at night, um, I journal. I read my favorite book. Right now I'm reading Heart of the Soul by Gary Zukov, and it's about emotional intelligence super fascinating. So it gives me a lot of homework (laughs) just to pay attention to the emotions that I'm feeling in my body and reassure myself that I'm safe and really get to know those emotions as the language of my body and my, yeah, emotional intelligence. So lately, my routine has been that, you know, journaling, reading, doing some really deep breathing into my diaphragm and expanding that um yeah and i actually stay up pretty late before i was a mom i was a night owl and i'm still a night owl (laughs) i am so with you on that what is your human design by the way do you know my human design is a manifesting generator i feel like most of the population is a manifesting generator (laughs) (laughs) yeah we love a manny gen Yeah,
0: I'm curious because I also have always been a night owl. I stay up so late, like 3 a.m. And then I'm up at like 11 and I've always been like, okay, maybe like not. But also like it's as I learn more about human design, everybody has their own flows and circadian rhythms to follow and in their own ways. So um, it's okay (laughs) that you're doing it at night.
1: I totally feel that. And at night, I just feel like everything's quieter and I can be in my own space and just like flow with it. And I'll so technically it is my rising routine because it's quite early in the morning that I'm doing this. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then I end up having, I've always had really profound dreams. So when I do those at night, I feel like it makes, it kind of prepares me to go into the dream space. And then when I wake up, I write all my dreams down. So that's actually a rising routine that I do pretty frequently is waking up and recording, like with voice memos or just in my journal, what my dreams were.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that helps Have you had me any to interesting remember ones recently Sorry, I cut you off. I've got a little lag. <laughs> okay.
0: Have you had any interesting
1: dreams lately that you can remember? Yeah, actually I had one not too long ago that was, um, I was in one of my friend's homes, which I, it, it's not her home. So it was kind of funny because it was like, Yeah, you know how it is in dreams. It's like, this is her home, but it's not. But it was a little house on a river, and it had a balcony. And I walked out onto the balcony, and her mom was there. And there was this huge river um, coming down from the left, and then making like an L shape and going off to the right. And as I got on to the balcony, and I was watching this river flow with these Beautiful albigias going all the way up to the sky and the sun filtering through. I look to my left and there's these two black peacocks, like totally black peacocks. And I was like, that's interesting. So I walk out onto this balcony and it collapses and I fall into the water and the black peacocks fly away up the river and over the trees out of sight. And I stand up in the water and I look to the right and there's these two beautiful blue green peacocks upstream, which is where I would be carried. Right. And it was very it was a very symbolic dream for me. I did some inquiry about it and I went into an automatic journaling process with the black peacocks to ask what they had to tell me about that. And what they said was that. All of the, you know, all of the eyes on the peacock feathers, they kind of look like panther eyes, some would say. So those represented the faces of all of my ancestors and the ones who came before me. All of the stories that they have to tell, all the pain, the suffering, the beauty, the joy, the beliefs, the values, the habits, the patterns, all the intricacies about them were represented by these peacocks and their color or shade, I should say, of black represented that the sun had set on them. And so that they had nothing left to teach me because now in this day in age, it's a totally new ball game. (laughs) And it's actually one of improv. And I'm trying to think of another word. It's like innovation, that's it. So we're kind of in this uncharted territory, and we're doing something that they've never done before. And so it's kind of all on us in this moment to find out what our gifts and abilities are, harness those, refine those, and then be carried upstream to those new, beautiful luscious peacocks that have so many gifts that they want to share with us but it's totally new. <laughs> hmm.
0: Oh my gosh. Thank you for sharing that. I'm so glad we just <laughs> dived into one of your dreams. That's so cool. Um, when you are like automatically writing or or asking for guidance with your dreams, is that something that you kind of learned how to do and like to remove your ego throughout the process over time to be able to kind of channel like that? Is it something that you've been practicing? So in my own
1: way, yes. Um, but also I did meet a dream interpreter and she taught me something called, uh, what is it called? Active imagination. So, an active imagination is when you have a profound dream like this and then you address the main character in your dream that's um, offering you some questions, right? You're kind of like, okay, what's up with you? So you write their name at the top of the page and you inquire deeper and you ask them questions and then you just write what comes up and you allow yourself to go and go and go. Even if you write the word and like five times while you're like buffering your subconscious and then you just kind of sit with it. But I do notice that even before I met her, I kind of have been putting myself in this meditative state when I'm in nature, especially where I notice that I can't really think thoughts. I don't know how to explain it better than that. It's like, I'll be sitting there and I'll have a thought and I'll be trying to think it even more. But then I'm like, don't force that thought, just let it come to you. So then it changes from a thought to an insight. And then it becomes something that I'm receiving rather than creating. And so I think that has been really helpful with the process of automatic writing is just actually quieting my ego's mind, like you said, and then allowing myself to listen to what's present.
0: Mm, That's really beautiful. I wanted to Uh, jump back to the book that you're reading as well. I'd love that it's all about emotional intelligence. Like, what do you think makes somebody emotionally intelligent? Or what have you noticed about yourself as you shift into becoming more emotionally intelligent?
1: Yeah, so this book has been very triggering, naturally. (laughs) Um, Emotional intelligence is all about understanding, or not even understanding, but feeling. It's about Feeling your emotions and getting to know the sensations that arise with those emotions. And that's actually, you know, each of the seven chakras, we have more than seven, of course, but the main seven that we do have act as um, points of, they're points where specific energies release. And so, emotional intelligence is about paying attention when you have those triggering situations in your life or you know you have an argument with someone that you love going into your body and paying attention to where the tension is and what the sensation is and then even beyond that what the color is and the more that you get familiar with those energies as they release right energy in motion emotion um the more emotionally intelligent that you can be and then you actually start to realize like when you have these situations come up with uh family members and things like that just triggering situations you could blame it on them, right? You could say like, oh, it's their fault because they're making me feel uncomfortable or they're being mean to me or whatever. But if you go deeper into that, you realize that even before the situation happened, you had that emotion at another point in your life and that person was not there. So your emotions belong to you. And the people who trigger those emotions are actually gifting you something. They're gifting you an opportunity to go deeper into your own power and get stronger so that you can reassure yourself and make yourself feel safe amongst those emotions and have that familiarity And my grandma always reminds me anytime I'm having like an uncomfortable emotion come up, she's like, you know, greet it like an old friend. Because emotions really, and that's a a Thich Nhat Hanh teaching. He says, hello, anger, my old friend. You know, what do you have to teach me today? And then that puts the power back in your hands instead of blaming someone outside of yourself so much you realize that it's actually just a gift for you to transmute within yourself. And then it just, it creates a foundation for you to go out into the world and know that you are safe in your body, in your vessel, and that no one can throw you off that unless you still have something to learn.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's one of the most profound teachings I think we can integrate in this lifetime is to take... 100% 100% responsibility for our own well-being. It reminds me of that poem by Rumi, too, The Guest House. You know, it, it really helps to see them as just guests coming through, just like temporary experiences and, and honoring them like that. So I love that you're bringing up your grandmother, too, and what a blessing that she's still here. How was your upbringing? Did you, were you raised in a home that was like nurturing this kind of thinking and, and this emotional, you know, intuitiveness?
1: So... Yes, I'm so glad that my grandma's still here. But it's actually funny that you would say that because my great grandma is also still here. And my great great grandmother actually passed when I was five. So I have a very young (laughs) mother's side of my family. Um, my upbringing was very dynamic. It was very unstable. My mom had me when she was 15. So she was very young, and she was still very much a child herself. And because of that, it was hard for her to, I think, take on this new role in the way that I might have wanted her to. But, um, yeah, it's like, I think by the time I was like 16, I'd lived in 22 houses. Wow. So it was very like I grew up in Hawaii. I grew up in Kauai um, in K-Town. That was where I mostly lived when I was a kid. And, you know, my mom, my mom was like my best friend growing up. She wasn't like a mom, you know, and even my mom now she calls me her mom because everything that we just, we've learned so much from each other. And I think I really chose my family for very specific reasons. Um, yeah, it's like, it's such a big topic, but I, when I was born, um, my brother was born two years later. And I remember my mom heard him crying one night and she went up to check on him. And I had climbed into his crib and I was rocking him back to sleep. And I was like, I got him. (laughs) And so I really have always had this maternal instinct. And I think my mom picked up on that. And she really relied on me a lot. She gave me a lot of responsibility. And so when my sister was born when I was 10, I pretty much raised her for the first five years of her life. So I'd be like, skateboarding or riding my bike around town with all the boys because i was a little tomboy um with my little sister on my hip (laughs) and so it seemed very natural to me but once i started getting older and i realized um just how dysfunctional that was it got to be a lot harder Um, and then I think around 15 was when I really realized that my mom had some serious drug problems. And yeah, so that was pretty hard because it kind of shattered my whole world of her. I I had this like opinion or this view of her, of us being best friends and me having all this fun with her, but I didn't necessarily feel safe in her environment and i was bouncing back and forth between my mom and my grandma for a while in my early childhood and my grandma was very nurturing very supportive she's the one who gave me my first tarot deck when i was 13. she gave me her old cards and she taught me how to read them she gave me pendulum and she gave me crystals and she really encouraged me to believe in fairies and build them homes and Mm -hmm. you know have that wonder and I really that was that was my childhood was with my grandma when I was with my mom it was a little bit more it was just different You know, my mom had great music taste. She loved like No Doubt and like NWA and like all the classics. And she had an 18 subwoofer in the back of her car and like tweeters around the whole thing. She wore a sideways hat and like makeup, jewelry. She was just like bossy, you know, and it was really fun. And we would just drive all around the island all day, every day, like I barely really went to school because we would just like hang out. But there wasn't really any structure to that, you know? And I'm grateful for that because it really made me who I am. Like now I don't really I I I it was like such a blank slate. I was given so much freedom yet so much responsibility that it it just I think it allowed me to be who I am in a big way. But once I once I moved out of my mom's and into my dad's, then it was a bit different because my dad has a very strong, intense personality. And he, his way of loving is to give his opinion because his opinion is the best, you know? And so he told me that I should model and that I should do all of these things that he thought would make me money and make me successful in the world because to him that's security you know but because of that it never really felt like i could be fully myself and it felt like in order to feel safe in my father's presence i had to um be someone that i didn't feel like i was i had to have my shit together according to him and when i was with my mom I had to do everything that she didn't have the energy to do because she stayed up all night and was going to sleep all day. And so it just felt like there was no room for me to really be myself. And that was really challenging. And so it just didn't really feel like I had much structure or direction. And I really struggled with that. And yeah, I got into like, I my mom smoked so many cigarettes, like a pack of cigarettes a day. And I always said, you know, I'm never going to smoke cigarettes because it smells so bad and it's just disgusting. And then as soon as I turned like 15, it was like, I'm taking like 11 bong rips a day. I'm smoking cigarettes. I'm drinking. I'm skipping school. I'm partying. Like it was just so all over the place. And. Yeah. So it sent me on a whole journey. It was a really dark journey. It was dark. It was not, I was so lost, so confused. I didn't really have a sense of self at all, let alone a sense of self-worth. And I think that made me really angry. I had a lot of anger. I still do that I'm working on and a lot of resentment just for everything that was put on me. And Yeah, so that's all been coming up in this heart of the soul. It's like readdressing all of those things that younger me felt and welcoming her back because it really felt like, yeah, it, you know, these patterns and these unresolved traumas, they take control of our life if we don't heal them. And I think. I had to do, like, I, I went all over the place. I went far and wide. I moved to Australia. I moved to L.A. And when I was in L.A., I was so depressed, so depressed and so lost because it was such a, like, wasteland there. And it was the epitome of everything that I was programmed to believe that I wanted, yet I couldn't bring myself to do it. I just couldn't. It was, like, so foreign. And that was when I really started having like a serious spiritual awakening because I started seeing 333 everywhere. And I remember I asked my mom one day, I'm like, what does this mean? Like, what does 333 mean? She's like, you were born at 333 a.m. And I was like, wow. So that was the beginning of me like realigning with my initial blueprint and coming home to myself and really asking myself like some serious questions. And yeah, I like I said, I've always had really profound dreams. I can remember most of my dreams since kindergarten as well. So I have like a really strong memory of them. And around that time, I started dreaming more seriously about the other side. Like my dad's mom, she passed away before I was born. And I remember one night I I had been at a club and I drank someone's Sprite and there was Molly in it. So I got so high and I went home and I just laid in bed and my body was so relaxed that my body fell asleep, but my mind was still awake. And I went into this other dimension and my dad's mom was there and we were in this like, kitchen made of koa wood and she was in this red muumu dress with her hair in a low bun with like all these tea leaves in it and she and I just talked for what felt like ever and that was the first time that I really connected with an ancestor like hardcore and she started dropping all this wisdom about how to deal with my dad and she was just like Stop fighting him like stop, you know, trying to beat him down because he's always going to think that he's right unless you listen to him and prove him wrong. And so then I started listening and I stopped trying to fight against him or resist what he was doing. And the more that I listened, the more that his words were echoing back to him. And so then he started apologizing because he started just hearing what he was saying. And and so then our whole relationship transformed because I actually allowed myself to soften instead of trying to become his equal. And then I started becoming myself. And then he could actually, he started to, he started to get to know me and then he started to respect me. But it took a lot of time (laughs) Mm -hmm. and a lot of patience and yeah so i went on my whole la journey and then i decided to move home and i changed my diet i stopped doing drugs i stopped drinking and this was when i was 21 and i had been just reading a lot about spirituality and ever since i was a kid i had a really strong connection to spirituality but not in any religious sense. It was always like things were so hard that I would just be on my knees like, if you exist, please help me, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. And I feel like I really developed a relationship with prayer because of that, because it felt good to be able to just like humble myself because I was so, it was like rock bottom, felt like such an eternal now as a child, that prayer was like one of the only things that really made me feel like it might be okay and that it might be a choice, you know, like I could choose to feel better. I could choose to create a better reality than the one that I came from. And so that's what I did. And I moved home from LA and, um, as soon as i got home my auntie who my auntie i'm named after her so i'm mahina number two (laughs) and she's always been not always because in my early life i i didn't really connect with her that much but once i got to a certain age and i started having my spiritual awakening all the blah 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 she was trying to preach to me before started like making sense to me i was like okay i get it now like And then she and I became best friends and she started sharing with me like all of her prayers and how to journal to connect with yourself in a deeper way. And so she really helped my journey a lot. And so when I got home from L.A., she had gotten this email that 13 elders from all four corners of the earth would be coming to Kauai for a week to film like a short film called Wisdom Weavers to kind of share ancient wisdom with the world and get people to like wake up and decide because it's all in our power and we've been led to believe that it's not for so long that we're just letting shit happen that doesn't need to be let happen. And so she and I ended up sitting with them for this eight day journey and that was like holy shit that blew my whole fucking world open like I could cry of joy like just listening to them speak about the beautiful relationship that they have to the earth and like it just was like music to my ears literally like I just I missed that I missed feeling connected to my body, to myself, to my community. And it felt like it had been too long. But it also felt like the contrast was necessary because coming from where I had come from and all that pain and all that fear, it had just sent me so far out of my body. And I didn't even know where to begin healing that, like, where do you even begin, so I just listened, and I was in a period of listening for, like, a couple years, like, it just felt like, it felt like I was lost, but also more found than ever, like, and everyone became a teacher to me at that point, like, every person, every child, every plant, every gust of wind was, like, a language for my soul and I it was like you know angel numbers and synchronicities just like you're on the right track just trust that you know you're putting one foot in front of the other and you're following your heart and this is this is you relearning your connection you know and it was a bumpy road it still is and that was where i met my friend gabriel and he is a facilitator for ayahuasca ceremonies so he told me that he would be facilitating a ceremony right after this um eight days was ending and i remember i had 800 to my name and it was 750 dollars to sit for the ceremony and i was like perfect I have just enough money for this, <laughs> so I did it. And three days later, you know, it was it was profound. And like two of the elders who came from Colombia, they came from the Mamo tribe, and um, they invited me to go with them at three a.m. to the highest mountain on Kauai and to plant um, coca leaves and this staff of crystals and all of these like ancestor spirits into the earth and do this whole ceremony to put our island on their grid of prayers So they travel all around the world and they do this. They go to the highest mountain peaks and they build this like spiritual vortex of energy that weaves across the ley lines of the whole planet. And I did that with them. It was just me and them and a few other people. And we were all just like crying at sunrise at the top of this gorgeous mountain. And it was so just like, I'm like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. But I have a lot of work to do on myself before I feel safe enough emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically, and healthy enough on all those levels to do this. So it was like, it was beautiful. And those same two mamos, um, we all went to the tarot patch. And... The tarot patch is this really sacred place on our island where um, this sacred plant is grown in lois, and this space is caretaked by Uncle John and it's this insane, like most magical place. And so we went there to do a little ceremony and to connect with the spirits there. And this was the first time that I ever had heard of Hape. Um, Do you know what hape is? Mm -mm. So hape is like this grandfather medicine that is, can you hear the dump truck in the back?
0: It's not bad. (laughs) You're fine.
1: (laughs) So hape is this grandfather spirit of um, tobacco leaves and sometimes other leaves as well, but it's plants ground into this dust and then you blow it up your nose through a karipe. So one end goes in your mouth and the other up your nose. And then if you're serving to someone else, it's a tepi. And so this shaman asks me to blow hape up his nose and I didn't really know what it was. So I blew it, but I blew it kind of hard. And he was just like,
2: fuck, (laughs) I was
1: like, like, fuck, I'm so sorry. But then, (laughs) so then he walked around the, the tarot patch. And when he came back, he told me that he had met my grandma because my grandma lived right next to the tarot patch before she died. And there was a huge flood and the flood washed her whole house away. And that's how she passed so he i had blown it up his nose and he said that my saliva like my dna would allow him to connect with any spirits that wanted to talk to me so he said he had connected with my grandma and he said she says hello and she asks me if and and so then he said is this your first time that you're going to be doing ayahuasca and i was like yes and three days later after the ceremony is at this exact place is where i was going to be doing it for three nights so he just told me to take it slow i'm young i don't need to go so deep and (laughs) everything will be fine and so that felt really beautiful because it was like he came with me there he blessed the space he communed with my grandmother's spirit And then three days later, I sat in a ceremony for three nights. And that just changed my entire life and also sent me on a whole nother journey because it allowed me to kind of just shake off everything that had happened before and then rise to a different perspective of seeing it all. And it gave me lots of gratitude, but it also introduced me to other lifetimes. Like lots of different, like Egypt specifically. My entire my entire three nights was about ancient com Kham, comet, and um, also a little bit of the Mayan pyramids, and me as an owl being born, <laughs> as a baby owl learning how to fly and then being a priestess in ancient calm and remembering and harnessing like those gifts and abilities and then also reconnecting with my star family so i was like fully in conversation with them and i was like i miss you guys like i want to come back and they were like time and space don't exist we're literally always with you like you only perceive separateness from the lens of your humanity but everything is light, and so through that, light travels so quickly that we're literally there with you at all times. You just have to learn how to see us with your inner eye rather than experiencing us with your five senses. So... Oh my gosh. As you're
0: saying all these, it's like coming through your face. Like, of course you were in Egypt. Of course you were a priestess and an owl. It like, you can see it in your spirit in a way. It's really beautiful to like, have you reveal that. Oh my goodness. How do you, do you, do you remember, or did they give you a name of what star family they were from? Who were you connecting with?
1: Well, so I already, I feel like I was mostly connecting with the Pleiadians at that point. Um, but I do feel like We have many different star lineages and the insight that I got was that on our way to be born on Earth, we kind of like trickle down and like bounce through star systems as we like prepare and are initiated into the human experience like coming down to such density. um, There are different lifetimes that like kind of prepare us for that. So I I remember being an Andromeda, being a blue person, really, really tall, like avatar-like beings. Those were the Andromedans. And then I also feel very strongly connected to Pleiadians. And also, um, I just had it there. It was just there. Arcturians? I do feel a connection with the Arcturians, but I feel like my time hasn't come yet to reconnect with them fully. I've tried to connect with them and I've had like brief little things, but it was clear to me that that will come later in my life.
0: All right. Just popping in for a second to tell you about my self mastery course called Cultivating Confidence. It's eight modules and we're covering everything from transformational journaling to EFT tapping to goal setting to clearing out self-limiting beliefs to highest self visualizations. So it's a really beautiful space for you to give back to yourself and really envision who you're becoming and integrating that next version by getting really clear, really focused. And I'm so happy to be offering this container for you. You can go to helendenham.com course to check it out, see if it resonates with you. And thanks for listening. Back to the episode.
1: I've been mostly specifically working with like Hawthor and Lyrens and Canadians.
0: When you work with them, um, what's your process like to, to connect to their consciousness?
1: Um, well it's, it it kind of always changes. It's not for me personally. I never really, it's rare that I sit down and say, I'm going to connect with you today. Mm -hmm. It's actually more about always being in a sort of receptivity that they can come to me whenever they want but you know over the past couple of years i had a really intense experience with one with a few specific entities that was very dangerous and because of that they couldn't connect to me for a while And that's a whole topic for like, maybe I'm like, how much time do we have?
0: (laughs) We have a little time. Well, can you give us a little, like a short version of what happened?
1: Okay. So I went to Egypt in 2018 right after. So I sat at two ayahuasca ceremonies each three nights long and all of them were so vividly like, you know. Anubis coming to get me and we're walking across like carnelian lapis lazuli ancient hieroglyphic floors and a giant doorway is opening up covered in hieroglyphs and Maat and Tehote are on the other side of it and weighing my soul, my heart against a feather then I pass through and the sphinx is there purple and huge and telepathically welcomes me home. He's like, welcome home, sister. And so it was like my ayahuasca experiences were like reliving all of my initiations from other lifetimes so that I could remember what I had done before this. And because of that, naturally, I wanted to go to Egypt because it felt like that was the next piece of the puzzle. And so I went to Egypt and there was this one specific entity or deity, whatever you would want to call this being um, who I connected with, which now I can see it was for initiation purposes. Like this was something that had to happen even if it was incredibly dark. Um, So then I leave Egypt and I go to Bali and I lived in Bali for six months and my teacher who i had went on the journey with when we traveled through egypt we took the priest priestess journey so we had initiations at every temple starting at the root chakra all the way up to crown which was in the great pyramid so we went down into the queen's chamber and then up into the king's and i laid in the sarcophagus and was initiated in the sarcophagus in this lifetime so that brought everything boom to the forefront and there were so many magical incredible things that happened through that. Then when I went to Bali that was when I had to address a lot of my childhood trauma and lots of animal medicine was coming through for that. I I began my priestess initiations with my teacher and literally the day after winter solstice which was my first ceremony ritual um i had been having dreams and visions of finding an owl in a cage and the very next day after my initiation i found one and so then started the journey with the owl and i was taking care of him then i set him free and he flew back and he lived with me free for months and so that was beautiful. And all of these different animals kept coming through. Like I found three bats, those were very precious little beings, and that's my heart chakra. animal totem is the bat. So that was a very heart-activating. Then I found uh, this little black bird, and the little black bird was like a full representation of me as a child, and that shattered me. I was like a puddle in my best friend's lap for a good few hours and then after that um, this little kitten arrived at my door and it had its foot stuck in this little like collar that it was trying to pull off so i named him um zanubis because he was black just like anubis and this little tiny kitten had just shown up at my door and i was like what So I named him Zanubis and the very next day, eight of our dogs are all poisoned and four of them die. And so they were all taken by Anubis to the other side, right? Like the literal next day. So then I meet this person and he introduces me to this teacher who claims she's the embodiment of the entity, deity being that we were previously talking about. So I set up a Zoom call with her and she um, tells me many different things, a lot of which I'm resonating with because I'm a young initiate in this new human life and I'm lost and I'm confused, but resonating with some of the things that she's saying. And so she convinced me that my chakras were useless and that she needed to take them. So she took my chakras out and this is the lesson. You never give someone permission to access your spiritual field in this way. So after that, literally a few days later, um, and it was wild because she then told me that the man who introduced me to her, that they had had a falling out because she claims he was Anubis and that she didn't like Anubis and I had just named the cat that and I was just like
2: what?
1: Yeah. And it was just wild. So then I I had just written this whole book guide on how to access the shadow and the light of each chakra, each temple. And I was going to Egypt to do a retreat with my teacher. And as I landed, it was like a three-day journey and it really wore me down. And once I landed in Egypt, I was pretty much on my deathbed, like couldn't move couldn't breathe. It felt like I was so out of energy and so disconnected from myself that I, I couldn't move and I couldn't eat for seven days. I just was in this hotel room and um, this doctor was visiting me three times a day, giving me an IV so that I could get back to life. And I actually spent my birthday like that. So it was like my 22nd birthday i think um and yeah so it caused a lot of confusion it caused a lot of confusion the woman who had taken my chakras convinced me that my teacher was bad and that she was out to get me and out to siphon my energy for her own purposes when in reality that's what she was doing and that's what she had already done so it caused a lot of confusion. So much confusion that I actually like removed myself from my spirituality and from my practices for a little while and just was in this like total reset mode of just like not knowing who I was. So then fast forward to August this year. Um, I ended up feeling like weird so I found out that I had a parasite and my partner's mom has been going to see this naturopath for the past like 30 years. And so she, um, reached out to her and they ended they had a cancellation that day, which is so rare cause she's so busy. So we went and I go in there and she's like a total wizard, right? Her name's like something so basic. And she has this, like, blonde, cute hair, and she just looks like someone's sweet mom. (laughs) Go into her office, and she's like, hold these copper rods, and you hold these copper rods, and she is addressing my field, and she's like, there's three layers of things happening here. The first layer is that you have two different parasites living in, like, your large and small intestine. And the second layer is that you must have lived close to a gas station when you were 12 because there are all of these toxins in your body from that age, which is true. I did. And because you're breastfeeding, your son is pulling the milk out and pulling the toxins up and the parasites are feeding off of the toxins. And then the third thing was that she so... It was the other thing was that the night before I was up all night researching spiritual parasites because whenever I have any problem with my body I know it's first spiritual so I'm researching spiritual parasites and I find this incredible article on it by this new Mexican shaman and he Native American who lives in New Mexico um, And he was just talking about all of these symptoms of having a spiritual parasite who's feeding off your life force. And I related to every single one of them. And so I was like, how am I going to afford to fly myself over there and pay for a whole day to sit with this shaman to cleanse my spirit all while being a new mother? You know, (laughs) I was like, oh, God. Then the next day, this woman had a cancellation. I'm in her office and she's fucking doing it right god yeah so the universe just like it all just lined up so she's like okay the third layer is have you ever had any encounters with this being flat out asks me by name this being she's like i'm looking at your tattoos so i can tell that this might not be crazy to you and she asks me that and I, t- and at first it had been so long and I had been in such a period of disconnect and confusion that I couldn't, I was like, I don't know. And Lewis was like, and I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and so then I remembered and I shared with her the whole story and she said, yep. Wow. That makes a lot of sense because you have a gaping hole in your solar plexus. It looks like someone ripped something out of you. She said, you have had four prominent past lives in Egypt. So I'm going to connect you to the one that's the oldest in terms of linear time and reconnect you with yourself when you were a Syrian who came directly down to earth and started like creating spiritual civilization on earth. I'm going to put that chakra system in your body now, which was honestly perfect. I'm like, great. That's the one I want. Great, so she did that and started healing everything and I was just crying hysterically and she was like, you're safe now. She's like, they're never gonna find you again. She's like, this is a dark cult who has been hunting you down for centuries, like trying to siphon your life force. And she also, she shared with me a few different past lives. She said, one of the other ones that she for some reason felt called to share with me was when I was in the Spanish Inquisition And I was raped and murdered and then like drowned by a priest because he believed that I was a witch, which I probably was. And Mm. so that was really coming through too. And that cleared up a lot for me in terms of that fear because of how safe we are to be seen in this day. And yeah, so she flowered my, I saw all of my chakras flowering and coming back online and that was very healing and then she reintroduced me to my most recent teacher in my most recent past life in Egypt she told me her name and she reconnected me with her and now I'm back on the path that I was on before but it was a two year about two year period of feeling she said there was this silver cord that was connecting me to like my truest essence and my soul and and I had been doing a lot of work to connect with that part of myself and like come online and do that work and that was what was ripped for me and taken from me and that's why I almost died Mm. because I had been totally cut off from my life source and from my soul by this group of beings who was like demonic like totally trying to harness the power of god in this totally unnatural and distorted backwards way and they were taking my ideas my opinions my insights and so for those two years it was so destabilizing for me because i once again but more than ever felt like i couldn't trust anyone because it felt like everyone was trying to take things from me and then once this happened i knew why because on this on the deepest level they were but it just wasn't the people in my immediate life Mm -hmm. and so spiritual protection and spiritual hygiene and knowing your worth and speaking your truth like it they're vital for your life like in those two years of darkness i remember i would just i couldn't sleep because i felt so uncomfortable I was just so lost and confused and I would just sit in my room and recite my full name over and over and over again to stay grounded so that I could feel like I was so... Cl- and I think that's what kept me like somewhat close to myself in that way. So she did that. She gave me my chakras back. And the other crazy thing was, you know how license plates go, right? Like with all the angel numbers and everything. So we're on our way that day before everything unfolds. And I see a license plate that says refine. How random is that? Refine yourself. So I already had a feeling and then we go there and I refine myself with this beautiful woman. So I sat there with her and I told her every book that I was reading, everything that I was studying and she said, "No, no, no. Yes." more like this so that also helped because then i was able to she was like how did you find these people (laughs) because they were like some serious serious occult um manuscripts because when i was a teenager um i don't even know how i found this but i found like this cd of it was twelve ninety nine and it was a p it had four hundred PDFs of rare occult books from between 1500 and 1800. So I started studying like the consciousness of fire and like all these different things. Mm-hmm. So that's an obsession that I have is rare occult books. I collect them first editions. But she helped me to really clear that up, and after that, I get home that day and there was a package that came in the mail from this sweet little shop called the Fairy Godmama shop, of course, <laughs> it says from Fairy Godmama and I open it and it's I'll just get them so that I can show you them because it's quite yeah. hilarious. <laughs> So I get home that day. And I open these in the mail.
0: Oh my gosh! Stop. For people listening on the podcast, she's holding like two chakra earrings, like yeah. long, all of your chakra
1: carved wooden earrings. They smell so good, like wood cedar or something. Oh my gosh! They're like a foot long, and they're from root to crown chakra earrings. <laughs> the day I get home, I literally um, can't. Like, wow. Come on. Dude,
0: I hope somebody writes a book about you someday or that you write your own memoir. I've been I'm writing Lord it for a Mahina. while.
1: It's so long. There are so many. Uh, like, see that bottom shelf right there? That's half of my journals.
0: Yeah. Oh, thank God that you're doing that. Wow. <laughs> I've never heard of like, you know, such a visceral experience with really like energetic, like thievery and, and needing to protect yourself, especially since you are a public figure and your energy is very much, um, public and present. Like, how do you, how do you use discernment and make sure that you are protected with a lot of eyes on you?
1: Yeah. Um, well, for one, I have evil eyes all in my room, which are like, you know, there are these, I'm, you're on my altar right now. So, (laughs) oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) But there are these, you know, it's, a blue circle with a white circle in it with two other shades of blue and it can it's called the evil eye or sometimes it's in the hand of Hamza or the hand of Fatima and the hand of Fatima is like the hand of God mm. so it's kind of like in the center of all light I stand nothing can harm me here like this is my divine identity and my divine truth and as long as I am true to myself nothing can harm me because it's just false darkness right there's true darkness which is beautiful divine it's where we come from it's like the womb but then there's also false darkness which is like distortions illusions manipulations so yeah my my dad's in the public eye and he always was growing up so i feel like also just living on an island Like, honestly, it's harder to live on an island than it is to be present online. (laughs) (laughs) Because there are so many people and I have such an intimate relationship with all of them because of the way that I was raised. Um, All of them took turns raising me at some point. So it's very beautiful to have like that type of support in a community, but it can sometimes be also overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So I, I love solitude. I love alone time. And so does Lewis. So we really help each other to get that. We structure and balance our days so that we both feel like we're getting what we need.
2: Mm.
1: And that's really helpful. And then also just Lewis and I are able to be so, so incredibly, totally 1000% honest with each other. So having someone like that in your life, whether it's a friend or a partner, for me, he's both, um, that's vital for Mm -hmm. feeling protected, is having someone or a few people who you can confide in and who know all of your deep, dark secrets and all of your greatest accomplishments, and they love you no matter what, and you can fully just allow yourself to be seen and say, I'm scared or I'm nervous. And then they remind you of your power and encourage you to take action to sit in that meditation or dance or go outside and put your feet on the earth and community. Mm -hmm. Honestly, when you're exposed to a larger community of people who are not so benevolent at a lot of times, having your community is what keeps you safe
0: hmm Do you have a little time? Because I wanted to ask you about your beautiful son, Risen, as well, and just, like, your journey through motherhood. What was it like? Did you plan to have Risen, or did this kind of, like, come, you know, divinely orchestrated? It's like, what has your journey through motherhood been like?
1: So I, I thought I was never going to have children. And when I got home from Egypt, actually, um, I adopted my nephew, who was five at the time. So I was like, I never need to have kids because I will just be taking care of my family members' children for the rest of my life. But then, you know, my mom has been homeless for the past six years and I haven't actually talked to her in person or on the phone. I've briefly texted her at times, but in the past two years, I have not connected with her. And there was one day where I was at the beach with a friend and she was there. And when I saw her, I just felt so much compassion and love for her, for her choosing her own experience because she has an addiction to crystal meth and she knows it. She's not like, oh, I'm doing what? Like, she's an amazing, incredible person. And she's totally she's after a huge situation when I was 15. She's always been honest with me. And even before that, like maybe too honest, but So when I saw her that day, I had nothing but compassion and forgiveness for her and I went into the ocean and I felt this huge like all these chains like drop off my back and it literally felt like i could hear them and feel the reverberations of them hitting the reef beneath my feet like it was such a huge clearing and i've never i've never been pregnant i've never had a scare i've never had to make a choice between abortion or keeping my child thankfully and um so i always thought that i was barren I always thought that I couldn't have kids because, like, I wasn't always safe in my relationships, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. sexually, we weren't always taking precautions. So I just figured that I was not able to have children, and that was a belief that I really carried. And so when I had my, my nephew, it was really strange. My boobs started growing, and they were really tender, and I hadn't been sexually active in about a year because I was just totally on this own solo journey and i started having all these maternal things like coming online and i noticed that my personality had began to soften and more of my femininity was coming out and so the day after that i saw her my nephew and i went to the beach and i had to pull over because i started having this ringing in my ears And the ringing turned into this blinking, all these blinking dots in front of my eyes. And the dots connected in these lines and a grid opened up. I had to pull over and I was in so much pain. So much pain. It was like, now I know, it was like I was in labor. And it was my period coming. And this huge white angel was in the windshield of the car, like blasting me with this energy, like healing my wound. And I was just giving birth to all the pain and the trauma that was held there. And it was so intense that I had to call two of my guy friends who I knew were in the area and one of th- their brothers. So they, one dropped off the other and he drove us home while I literally like labored my period in the car pretty much. And, and then after that, I never had cramps again. And my cramps were so bad before. I never had cramps again. It was like this huge clearing of my womb space. And then a few months later, I met Louis. And then a few months after we met, we conceived Risen. And so when I became pregnant, it was like obviously terrifying because I've only known this person in this way. I had known him for six years, just in passing as a friend here and there. but to decide to have a child with someone after three months of a relationship, knowing that my hormones were going to change, knowing that I was going to lose my mind, knowing that it was going to be really hard and that neither of us felt totally ready for it. But if anything, I felt more prepared than I think he did. And I knew it was going to be really tough, but we did it. And It has been so incredibly challenging, but the most rewarding experience ever. And it's like, Lewis looked at me the other day and he said, everything that I've ever dreamed of having is manifesting right now. And I could have never imagined that it would have come in this way because I was so afraid of this, you know? And the level of commitment that we have from going through such huge challenges together and not knowing if we were going to make it through and not knowing what to do or, you know, especially in the beginning when your child is so young that you're not really connecting with them much in terms of personality and they're just pooping and sleeping and eating and you're just like oh it's groundhog day like it can get intense and it really challenges you to be the best version of yourself and to really go in and do that work and it's been it's been the birth of us you know it's like the day we met risen was the day we met ourselves and he's making us into the best version of ourselves it's like the way that i see it in inside is that when he was born and he passed through my body he illuminated all the illusions and the things that i hold on to out of fear so that i could let them all go because they're pointless you know mm-hmm. it's like and he's just given us a whole new sense of purpose and when you have A child, and and you don't have as much time for yourself, it makes it actually easier to prioritize what really does matter and to go after the thing that lights you up the most. Like, what are my actual dreams? What is my purpose? What is my calling? What kind of people do I want in my life? What kind of diet do I need to have to feel my best so that we can go on adventures and do the things that we want him to experience? In the best way possible and it's been very humbling because you know when you're when you have a parent you're just a child growing with your child like just because you're a parent doesn't mean that you're just this grown up in in the sense of the fullness of it you know it's like actually i feel like we're becoming children again in a sense because we're having to purify our personalities of like manipulation any traces of it or any selfishness and like all these little things that are just so not helpful to your child or to anyone and so it's just been really incredible in that sense like we have cultivated this radical honesty and this radiant safe space where we can totally admit our fears and our pains and hardships so that we can work together to weave something better. And it's paying off. It's like, it's a lot of work, but it really pays off.
0: Mm -hmm. What was it like actually carrying a child? What does it feel like to have a baby in you?
1: Oh, my psychic, when I talked to her when I was pregnant, she was like, she would describe it for me as torture and I would have to agree Hmm. because (laughs) which isn't true in the whole entire thing of it but for one it felt so intense because you feel like this like puddle of emotion and sensitivity you have more blood in your body you have more water in your body you have two hearts in your body um and it's so vulnerable and like so it was scary for me at times because it felt like I could read people's thoughts and energies and I couldn't be around many people because I just felt too overwhelmed by what they weren't saying and it felt like I was too it felt like I didn't want to pretend anymore it it just felt like I could feel how many people around me were pretending and I just couldn't So I would just want to be alone. And also, it also was the most tapped in that I ever felt, because when I was writing and when I was channeling and when I was doing like my spiritual work and things like that, it was the most clear. And it didn't feel like it was me. It felt like he was using my hand to write all these things down. And so that was a really beautiful experience sharing your body with another being who has all of their own knowledge and wisdom and then connecting with that and speaking that for them that was one of my favorite experiences of it It was just like i we were living um at my auntie's house at the time because i really wanted to be close to the water and she has a beautiful home like right on the beach and i lived there growing up part-time so it felt really safe and nourishing to return home there and to have this very sacred special point point. and right on this beach there was this huge mountain who looks like a pregnant woman laying down it is a very sacred place and the the ocean is blown by two different winds and two different poles so there's this point where both sides of the ocean collide and I would lay right in there in the tide pools till like three or four in the morning. Cause I was so hot. Um, and there were bioluminescence there sometimes. So, it, and I could fully, like I was communing with the Pleiades with the Hawthors and like really feeling his presence so intensely. Like, it was incredible. And so I was writing a lot, recording a lot of, yeah, magical information that he was sharing with me. Mm. So that was really beautiful. And also the dreams that I was having of him, too, were very profound.
0: You were like meeting him in your dreams
1: before he was in the physical. Yeah, I've seen him as like a four-year-old already. Mm. so that was really amazing too and honestly I've never felt more beautiful than I did when I was pregnant it felt like my belly is just meant to be like that like Mm. it really it was uncomfortable and it was sad at times because when you're pregnant you're being initiated to be able to be the mother that you need to be for your child so it can be intense especially with how much work I have to do on myself specifically and personally. It was very revealing. And it was a very deep process where I had to reprogram and repattern and let go of these things that were making me angry and resentful. I had to really grieve, you know, my old life especially. Like, I had to just allow myself to cry and grieve and mourn and if i didn't do that i think it would have been harder for me like in postpartum and in this new part of his life but i feel that because i allowed pregnancy to be so deep and so transformative that once he was here i did it like i got him here and this is my new life now i mourned my life i let it go so fully so deeply and now the most beautiful creation of all is coming into being. And so I I just feel like honored and grateful.
0: Oh, it's so beautiful. I, I, I think of my own mother, she really struggled with postpartum. And I wonder if it's because she didn't give herself the grace to mourn herself, you know, coming through. And I wonder if that could save a lot of women just like pain when their children actually arrive to just move in through acceptance and kind of ceremoniously. How did yeah. his name come through for you? So
1: I, I can't really remember how, Risen just popped into my head one day. It was like, I don't know why, but it was just, it seemed like, it just seemed like the right thing. And the reason that I named him Risen was because, you know, it's the past tense of rise. So it's not like he has to rise. I wanted him to be born knowing he's already risen, Hmm. but we're all in the process of elevating ourselves and it's not even something that we're doing. It's something that's happening to us. We're being called higher and we're evolving and I feel like he's already there. So I wanted to affirm that for him and His full name is Risen Kala, that's his first name, and Kala means sun. And that's my dad's name. My dad's the sun and I'm the moon. So Risen Kala is like the risen sun, like the sun has risen. And his middle name is Ho'ohoku Kalani Ula Leo Manavili. And so his name means risen is the sun who has descended from the stars to accept the highest calling and spiral outward from the nucleus of creation, separate from nothing, unified with all.
0: Oh my God. It's literally making me emotional to hear you say his name. Wow. Oh, that's so beautiful, Mahina.
1: And that's who we all are. That's who we are. That's our divine identity. And I wanted him to to feel that. So that's what I named him. And his birth was really hard he was 9.6 pounds and 21 inches long and I gave birth to him at my house but I was so big and I'm so flexible already that when the relaxing hormone was in my body I couldn't exercise I couldn't work out I couldn't move I could barely like walk through sand because my body was so flexible that it would do more harm than good and that I'd be down for a while. So birth was pretty hard because it didn't feel like I was strong enough. And I think I might have started pushing too soon because truthfully, when I was giving birth, it didn't feel like I was, I mean, no one feels like they're in their body when they're giving birth, but it just felt like it was, It was huge it was like i went on a walk when i was in labor and my grandma asked me what's stopping you from bringing him here like what is keeping you from getting this done and bringing your son here and i said i've been able to run from literally everything uncomfortable before now and i can't run from this and it's freaking me out (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so it was so hard to just surrender and allow him to come through. It was like I had so much blocking me from it. And so when he finally did come through, um he came through like this with his arm, his right arm coming out, and he got stuck. Um and so he got stuck and he started being suffocated, kind of. So the midwife had to really work to get him out and his arm broke. Oh, my gosh. And so um, once he did come through, he was in shock and he didn't have a heartbeat. He wasn't breathing and he looked like this little blue dolphin with this like blue long head. It was so wild. And I was just there with this long blue cord like connected to this being. And I was just like,
2: oh my God.
1: It was the craziest moment of our lives. We were just looking at each other like, who am I? What are we? We're humans. Oh my God. Like it's like you finally meet the fullness of human potential when you see a woman give birth. Literally. Like it, it's like. The impossible made possible. like It's magic. It's just totally. absolutely magic. So wow. he had to go to the hospital after that. And that's where they told us that his arm was broken. And then he had to actually get medevaced over to Oahu. And the nurses were so incredible. Mm. They were like wonderful. And it was funny because before he was born, um i was like i'm never putting him on a plane for the first 2 years of his life and i'm not going to do this and i'm not going to do that and there were all these things that i said i didn't want to do and he was born and he did every single one of them in the first 24 hours
2: oh my god mm-hmm.
1: so funny because actually as what i could see of it was that he was he was breaking my fears he was like mom i'm going to be fine I'm an adventurer. You can't hold me back. I want to go here because both his grandparents live here. So he got to meet his grandparents right after he was born. He got to meet all the EMTs. He got to meet the nurses. And they were so loving and so caring. And it was very, honestly, it was all perfect. The way that it happened was all totally perfect. And I After he was born, I posted and I asked people to come together and bring all their prayers to him. I shared his full name so that people could try to say it in some way, (laughs) at least in their minds, attempt it and, you know, bring some energy to him. And I had healers and shamans and women and men all over the world who were sending all their love to him. And it was, it was gorgeous it was beautiful to feel that support and to just feel so surrendered into the process.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Were and you it, on like any medication giving birth or did you just do that? Like full out, like does the trauma like take over so that you're able to do it? Like, do you block out the pain? Like, how did you do it?
1: Yeah. it No, I was not on anything. And it's insane. Like you, I thought I was dying multiple yeah. times. I asked them, "Am I dying?" And they, of course, fucking laughed at me. They laughed at me. They were like, "No, you're <laughs> like, gonna be fun." And i was uh-huh. like, "Are you fucking sure?" Yeah. Like, wait. But yeah, when it comes down to it, like, you really don't have a choice. Like, you have to get this fucking baby out. And how are you gonna do it? And so, I feel like, you know, like I said before, I was out of my body from a lot of the traumas that happened to me. It felt like I couldn't really fully like be in my body. And when I was in Bali, someone asked me, they said you they told me, you have to ask yourself what traumatized you so much that it made you leave your body and you still haven't come back into it. And I was like, "Oh shit." And so birth was the first step in me really coming back into my body and coming back into my power. And that's why it was a lot harder for me because I have friends who had a much easier birth. I wouldn't say that the pain was any different, but their relationship to their breath, their relationship to maintaining presence, to exercising, to you know all these little factors and also maybe having a little bit more time, like to prepare. Those all were probably helpful for them, but I think everyone's birth is perfect for what they need to experience. And when you feel like it's time to have your child, it's gonna be exactly what it needs to be. And it's about finding the silver lining in it all. because. You could get swallowed by the trauma of it and by the pain. And I allowed myself to feel all of that, obviously. I had to just let myself cry it out and feel the sadness, feel the separation from my child. But because, you know, I was separate from him, like in the very beginning, because they had to like make sure that everything was okay. And those were things that I was very grateful for their help with. And so it really revolutionized the way that I saw Western medicine and living in Hawaii, we have a much better. I mean, we have great nurses and we have great doctors and they're very respectful of our boundaries, of our choices, of what we want. And so I felt like it was all okay and it made me feel like I could release my fears about the western medicine system and just be grateful that we have them and the other thing that his birth really showed me was just the way that his initial separation for me and this like this mother wound that we have as a human species it's representative of our relationship to the earth and how far we feel from mother earth. And so that was very healing for me too, because it really showed me how important it was for me to understand how far we've gotten as a race from our natural rhythms and from connecting to the essence of the earth, getting our hands dirty and yeah just our, our true purpose as being stewards of the land. Mm -hmm. And so just rewilding ourselves, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I feel, you know, I could have been afraid that, you know, he's going to have some problems in his future because of this trauma that he's experienced. But I actually chose to see it as I have a mother wound. And now He has his own mother wound that I can actively participate in mending by how I show up for him, how I love him, the presence that I offer him, the experiences that I offer him, and something that if it comes up and if that's something that we do need to work through in a big way, that we'll do that together. And and that's all going to be fine. I don't think we're meant to just have these like only happiness lives like we're dynamic this is the third dimension like there's polarity you know as above so below when the fruit tree grows and then the fruits die they drop onto the ground and they become fertilizer for the tree to get bigger so i think that the greatest traumas in my life and the greatest pains greatest painful experiences they've allowed me to find other people who have similar experiences and to cultivate deeply meaningful relationships with these people Mm -hmm. and to fearlessly show up with them and be myself on all levels and not know what the fuck I'm doing and have these insights and share them with excitement and be learning and to be a student but then to also share what, what is given, to receive and then to give it away and to know that it's a constant flow.
0: Mm-hmm. It's also so beautiful to witness you so connected to nature. It's so present in your energy as you show up that like nature is such an integral part of your like well-being and in your journey here. I mean, what is what is the the wisdom that's held in Kauai and how does it connect you to your ancestors and, and yourself as a person, staying connected to nature and in this beautiful sacred place?
1: So Kauai is Kauai and Maui were a part of the Pangaea, you know, like the Lemurian continent. So when it sank, um, these two i believe that these two islands were a part of it and so these like the stones and the plants and just the the energy of the land you can connect to that ancient wisdom especially through the caves and yeah it's like it's so deep but It's an ancient, it's so, it's so spiritual. It's Mm -hmm. so spiritual. Like the ancient Hawaiians could literally control the weather because they were the weather. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. they fully understood that human beings are just one consciousness in all of these different bodies. And so they worked as an organism. And that's what Aloha is all about. It's like about sharing breath, like knowing that the breath is who we really are. Like, and that's been one of my favorite parts of awakening is just awakening and listening to the stories of all the tribes, not just the Hawaiians and like the Kanaka and the Maori people and my Polynesian ancestry, but also my Native American ancestry and, you know, all of it, it's all similar and it's all one. It's, there's so many different words for all of the same things, but what it always comes down to is that we're all breath and water and soil. So we literally are the earth, you know, And I think a lot of people have this like feeling of feeling separate from the earth. And that's where a lot of their depression and distortions arise from because they, the thought of being separate from the earth is the hugest illusion ever Mm -hmm. because it's right here in your hand, like literally. Mm -hmm. So you can access, no matter where you are, you can access the earth at any time because it's your body through movement, through breath, you know, we don't, even me living on an island, I don't get to go out into nature all the time. Like, I'm pretty busy. I have a lot of things that I need to do. I have a house that I need to keep organized and a baby. It's like, but just connecting with my body, I'm connecting with nature, connecting with my breath and bringing my breath into my diaphragm that's been hugely healing, especially because we live in a society that tells us we need to have like flat stomachs and look this one specific way. But I personally, when you look at like old images of people, all the women's stomachs are out. So that's suspicious to me. (laughs) I'm like, wait, can we do that again? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because it's a lot more comfortable. If you allow your stomach to come out and you fill it with your breath and you sit in that way, you can breathe easier hmm so yeah this land is very sacred but we're having a lot of troubles here right now because of all of these people with a lot of money who come in and they buy land for a really fucking stupid price and then that raises the whole market so then all of my friends and family are being pushed out of their homes because they can't afford to live in the areas that we were born and raised in mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense you know mm-hmm and then it's like, and then land is bought for a parking lot that we don't need. Mm-hmm. Like our community, like we're out in the ocean. We're like, <laughs> our nature is our playground and it's our livelihood. So for these people to come in and start taking our land and doing things with it for their people, like in other cultures, I mean by that, like people who like playgrounds and who want to just sit and do this all day. It's like, I love that too. There's a balance in all things, right? But it's like, can't we just keep it in one place and not infect like sacred land with it? Like, can't we leave something sacred? And so that's the importance of just speaking up and sharing when when there is, there have been so many moments in Tahiti, in Hawaii, across all the islands, when people come in and they want to desecrate the land for their own selfish purposes and the money that they're going to make from this. And it's like, it's really, it makes me really mad.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: But Mm -hmm. we do have voices and more and more people are standing up and there are so many educated Hawaiians and people, Indigenous people who are upholding these sacred beliefs and using their energy to stand for them in constructive ways that educate the community and empower the community so that we can start taking up our space.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I remember visiting recently and and seeing um, just kind of like long, fields like lawns that are perfectly mowed with fences. And I remember somebody saying, you know, this is really affecting our wildlife as well because all these fences going up and all these lawns are just completely disrupting the ecosystem as well. So it's not just they come in the, it's not even just about money, it's about the whole environment is shifting around these like kept homes that people might live in like a few months out of the year. Um, Yeah, we need some regulations.
1: I know. Yeah. It's like we need to regulate how many people are even allowed on island per month mm-hmm. because we only have one road on Kauai specifically. So it's like there's not even enough. <laughs> the traffic is just stupid. It's like we live here, we have fucking shit to do. We have to bring our kids to school, we have to do, we have to get to work. And all these tourists are just like, pulling over on the side of the road to take a picture of something. And it's like so hard not to get so pissed at them. You
2: know, Mm -hmm. it's so
1: upsetting. How would you
0: recommend like people travel? When I came, I went on a camping trip. So I just, (laughs) I camped in Anahola, but I was, uh, I was like, is it appropriate for me to even be going in right now, especially with the pandemic and everything? But what is, what do you think the best way to travel is um, to come in more respectfully?
1: i think that it's just important to have like you you should want to educate yourself if you're gonna come to our islands then educate yourself get to know you know what businesses you should support while you're here so that you're shopping locally and that your money is going into the pockets of people who are going to feed their families and also look for places that you can donate even if it's just a small thing or whatever like there are places that you can donate and it's as easy as googling it you know like people just need to use their ability to research and just get online and educate themselves about how they can give back because you can volunteer at certain places you can donate and you can go to local businesses and put your money in the right pockets. Because then, because a lot of people rely on tourism in the islands. But if you're just going to a corporation, like a big store, and giving your money to them, you're not helping the community at all. So that's something that's helpful. And then also not geotagging where you are. Mm. Never saying um where you are, if especially like anywhere, you know, because we want to keep these places sacred. And if more and more people are flocking to certain areas because they're picturesque or whatever, you never know like what's gonna happen to those places. You never know who's gonna be paying attention to that and just exploit it. For their own selfish purposes so just you know the little things are the big things picking up trash at the beach when you see it taking your trash with you um finding out if there's a local garden that you can volunteer at while you're there which is pretty awesome because if you volunteer at a garden usually they give you some grinds they give you some good food Mm -hmm. you know so yeah, just planning your trip in a way that's close to the land and that's going to feed the people there.
2: Mm-hmm. If oh, you
1: thank you so come. much,
0: Yeah, those are that's like really good advice. I remember seeing one of your posts about geotagging before I went actually, and I was like, that's such um, unique advice that I would never have even thought about to not to not just like draw attention more attention than necessary to it. So. Oh my gosh, Makina, I could ask you questions <laughs> for like a year. I'm so grateful for you and I'm sending you so much love and and what a gift to have you here and to be so vulnerable and open. I think so much of what you expressed is really going to hit home with people and thank you for being so honest and open. Really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Mm-hmm. I'm really grateful. This is actually my first podcast that I've ever been on. So Thanks. it's
0: an honor mahina i'm so blessed to have had you here and i'm so grateful for you all right my friends thank you so much for being here and hanging out with us today i hope you're feeling inspired and lifted and called to action in some area of your life and of course everything we chatted about is linked in the description below a couple more things on my end if you go to HelenDenham.com, you can find a link to sign up for my self-care sunday newsletter little love note in your inbox every week. You'll also find links to my music and my course, Cultivating Confidence. You can even check out a one-on-one mentorship with me that's seven weeks, and I'm only offering that for the next month or so. You can also find links to past podcast episodes and blog posts all the good stuff. And last thing is that you can join me for meditation on Sundays. I teach with the den at 4 PM PST and at unplug in Santa Monica in person or online at 8 PM PST. And there's more to come for meditation news as well, but that's a wonderful way to just drop in every week. And I'd love to see you in there. All right, you guys, thanks so much for being here. I'll catch you next Wednesday. Sending you so much love. Bye.